3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, listeners. You're on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855am. It is, oh my gosh, Thursday the 3rd of March. Malika, how are you doing today? I am great. As you can probably tell, I am... Joining in from home today, um, but very much pumped for this morning's show, but also can't believe it's already the 3rd of March. Feels like just yesterday that was the 2nd of February. Yeah, I know. It's just, I mean, you know, I guess we're rocketing through this year and every every year we do this, we're like, I can't believe it's going so fast and so much is still happening and we're in the third year of the pandemic, folks. I know. Um, it's massive. Which is, you know, why Malika is responsibly uh, dialing in from home because, you know, you, ne- you can never be too careful if you think that you might be exposed. Please continue to stay at home, isolate, get tested, keep wearing those masks, keep, you know, um, sanitizing and take care of your community, right? Exactly, Priya. Exactly. Look, do what we need to do to help keep community safe yeah. as we explore this together. Definitely. And, you know, again, I cannot emphasize enough listening to people, uh, you know, our disabled community members who are. Uh, at the front lines of both fighting back against this and speaking up against the rollback of pandemic measures um, and safety measures as well, and just encouraging people again to go back and listen to that fantastic interview with Caitlin Blythe that we did two weeks ago, um, which really lays out, uh, you know, the concerns that disabled and chronically ill folks have about just letting it rip. Mm, I agree, Priya. Yeah, so we might jump into what we've got on for today. So first up, uh, Alina Mark, a Sudanese refugee who's been living in Indonesia for the past four years, interviews Abdullah, who's also stranded in Indonesia as a result of Australia's border regime. And Abdullah speaks about barriers to accessing education for refugees in Indonesia and his concerns about their flow-on effects. Alina is a trained dentist, but she's currently working with two NGOs providing education support to refugees in Indonesia. That's For All Learning Centers and Beyond the Fabric. And she's also a member of Archipelago magazine, which you would have heard about previously on 3CR when I spoke with Jay and Janide. So to hear more of Alina's collaborative work with Shahrazad Blul interviewing refugees in Indonesia, you can catch that on the next Women on the Line episode on Monday, the 7th of March from 8.30 to 9 a.m. on 3CR. Will we then be will then be speaking with Greg Foister, who is the campaign's manager at Environment Victoria. He is a long-term Geelong resident and member of the community group Geelong Renewables Not Gas. He joins us today to speak about the alleged underreporting of Geelong gas terminal emissions. And then following that, we'll be speaking with Professor Daniel Angus, who is a professor of digital communications at the Queensland University of Technology Digital Media Research Centre. His research examines issues at the intersection of technology and society, including algorithms, misinformation, and new methods to study the digital society. 
He's joining us to talk about fake viral footage being shared during the current crisis in Ukraine. And finally, we're joined by Dr. Nina Ritter, who's a research associate at the Centre of Excellence for Climate Extremes at the University of New South Wales, who joins us to discuss the recent catastrophic flooding in Queensland and New South Wales, their relationship to climate change and La Nina cycles, and the latest report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And you can find out more about the climate science research that Nina and her colleagues are working on at climateextremes.org.au. And... um, Yeah, I'm sure for people that have engaged with some of those early reports uh, on the findings or, you know, on on that report from the IPCC, uh, it's been pretty overwhelming, pretty terrifying. But there are still mitigation and adaptation strategies that we can employ. So I'm really interested in hearing this conversation and how we can, you know, get to taking action and get our governments to take action. Such an important point whilst discussing important issues. Yeah, definitely. So we might head to a CSA and then we'll jump into headlines. That's like a good plan. Hi, I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Malika, I think we might jump into some headlines. Um, As we just take over to 7.05 a.m. this morning, these are headlines for Thursday, the 3rd of March. The United Nations General Assembly has voted today for a resolution deploring Russia's invasion of Ukraine and calling for immediate withdrawal of forces. Reports indicate that more than 2,000 civilians have been killed since the invasion began and an estimated 750,000 people are displaced. Those displaced face extremely difficult conditions, including for people of colour who are reportedly experiencing attacks from nationalists in neighbouring countries as they arrive seeking refuge. Police in Poland warned that far-right groups are spreading misinformation and violently targeting people fleeing Ukraine who are of African, South Asian and Middle Eastern descent. Meanwhile in Australia... Prime Minister Scott Morrison has been criticised for saying visa applications from Ukrainian people are at the top of the pile, forcing Liberal Party members to reassure that this does not mean applications from Afghan nationals fleeing the Taliban regime will be deprioritised. In other news, devastating flooding and torrential rain has impacted southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales this week, and a flash flooding warning remains in place for parts of Greater Sydney. There are grave concerns for the welfare of some First Nation communities in Bundjalung country in the Northern Rivers area. Some communities, such as the Gundarimba Mission, are completely cut off with limited supplies and no electricity, while others, like Cabbage Tree Island, have had to be fully evacuated. And finally, for the headline news in this week, another anti-trans bill has been received backing, backing by some members of the federal parliament, including Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Under the Save Women's Sports Bill, changes would be made to the Sex Discrimination Act to clarify that the operation of single-sex sport on the basis of biological sex is not discriminatory. 
Advocates have described this move as divisive and unnecessary and one that once again casts transgender people into an uncertain and unsafe status in the eyes of the law. You, these have been the he- news headlines for Thursday the 3rd of March and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM. Thanks so much, Malika. And just on that last one, I think I can't emphasize enough uh, how much this discourse around, you know, this anti-trans discourse even if these bills don't pass, affects trans people. I mean, we saw the fallout of the gay marriage debate. And so just reminding people to, um, you know, be vocal in your support for trans people. Um, start thinking about uh, actions that you can take if you're not trans or if you're not gender diverse to actually support trans people in the community. Um, you know, push your elected representatives to take a strong stance against transphobia. And uh, if you're trans or gender diverse and listening to this program today, we love you. We care about you and you are valued and important and we will fight for you. Thanks for sharing that. have a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home we'll drop them in at 3CR and put them in the books and boots bin books and boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional first nations communities and children across the country contact us at books and boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au we love a good book You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And uh, Inez is here. Inez, you want to say hi? Hello. Yes, I am here. So uh, excited to be here. Yes. Good morning. <laughs> this is uh, like our, our uh, introduction redux. But uh, I think we might go into our first uh, segment for today. So I'll be um, playing a segment uh, that Alina Mark uh interviewed Abdullah, who, and both of them are stranded in Indonesia as a result of Australia's border regime. So Alina is a Sudanese refugee and Abdullah is from Iraq. And Abdullah speaks about barriers to accessing education for refugees in Indonesia and his concerns about their flow on effects for when people uh, move on and are resettled in third countries um, after leaving their country of origin. And Alina herself is a trained dentist, but is currently working with two NGOs that provide education support to refugees in Indonesia, for all learning centers and beyond the fabric. And she's also a member of Archipelago magazine. And to hear more of Alina's collaborative work with Shahrazad Blul interviewing refugees in Indonesia, you can catch that on the next Women on the Line episode next Monday, the 7th of March, from 8.30 to 9 a.m. But for now, we'll go to that interview between Alina and Abdullah. Please welcome with me, Mr. Abdullah. Hi, Mr. Abdullah. How are you? Hello, Miss. Hi. How are you? I am fine. Thank you for you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us uh, today. Tell us a little bit about your journey, Mr. Abdullah, from Iraq to Indonesia. Uh, Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. I am Abdullah from Iraq, uh, father of four children. Uh, I left Iraq in 2016. Uh, because of war, I was worried uh, about the safety of my wife and my children. I come uh, to Indonesia 
because I heard it is good country and the people are nice. I appellate to you, sir, since I arrived and uh, until now I am still a Salem seeker. Oh, Mr. Abdullah, it seems like a long journey. So, uh, is it okay, Mr. Abdullah, if you tell us about some of the difficulties that you faced in related to the education of your children? This is the most uh, difficult uh, problem we face in Indonesia. The education for the refugee children are facing two main uh, problems. Number one, the user does not show enough uh, attention uh, to the education of uh, our children. Number two, the Indonesian government does not allow refugee children to enroll formally to public schools uh, and get uh, credit certificates. Uh, I have children uh, soon uh, short enroll into uh, college uh, according uh, to their age. But until uh, now, uh, they did not uh, get any uh, certificate to be uh, able uh, to join any formal schools. Everything uh, can be replaced, uh, but if uh, their life is uh, wasted without uh, education, uh, how can we make uh, up for it? We don't uh, know uh, how long uh, we will uh, stay here. And it's uh, been a long uh, wait. Uh, and uh, it is my children who are there, the price. I'm deeply sorry, Mr. Abdullah, for uh, what your children are facing while they are still here in Indonesia. Uh, is it okay if you tell us uh, some or you share with us some of the stories that you heard from uh, other refugees' families were in the same situation and their children are facing the same problems as uh, your children? I saw families, uh, their uh, children, come to Indonesia in age of 16 and uh, now they are 23 or 24 years. They did not uh, get uh, any education since uh, they arrived to Indonesia. What will happen to them when they go to their third country? How they are uh, going to get uh, education after living it for so long? Many parents uh, does not know English and Indonesian language because uh, that they are not uh, able to uh, teach uh, their children. Besides that, uh, the learning uh, centers are only in two uh, cities, and they have limited spices. It is not uh, easy to buy enroll uh, there because of the long uh, waiting lists on the distance. We all know it's a difficult time that humanity are facing because COVID-19 first and now because of the Macron pandemic. How does this pandemic affecting you and your family? 
this pandemic uh, had uh, negative and uh, positive uh, outcome uh, for me and my family. Yeah, uh, this uh, pandemic uh, put us in many uh, psychological uh, problems because uh, of the look uh, down, which has become very difficult. But on the other hand, uh, learning uh, centers switch it to teaching online. I can say that my uh, children uh, were lucky and were able to learn because of COVID-19. Thank you, Mr. Abdallah, for these words. Uh, any last words you want to say to the international community before we end this uh, interview? Remember, as in your brave years, and uh, remember our children, when you watch your children go to school. And that was an interview between Alina, Mark, and Abdullah, who are both refugees that are stranded in Indonesia as a result of Australia's border regime. And Abdullah was speaking about barriers to accessing education for refugees in Indonesia and his concerns about their flow-on effects. And you can hear more of Alina's collaborative work with Shahrazad Blul interviewing refugees in Indonesia on the next Women on the Line episode, which is airing on Monday, the 7th of March from 8.30 to 9 a.m. on 3CR. And also, we just want to plug, as part of this year's 24 Hours of International Women's Day, 3CR invites you, beautiful listeners, <laughs> to a street party from 8, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Tuesday, the 8th of March, in Little Victoria Street. There'll be music and performers and food and friends. And if you can't make it, you can also listen live, and it's a COVID-safe event. So full details of our 24-hour broadcast will be coming soon. That is International Women's Day on Tuesday, 8th of March, from 4 to 8 p.m. And now we will go to a song that was released yesterday by Maisha called Still Dream. I was playing my part, I wasn't trying to play you. Mistakes that I made to you, but I still knew. Right from wrong, now all I want to hear these open wounds But I live with the moments that I cannot undo If I can't feel it, does it still exist if it's only in my mind? Still dreaming my children, and now I'm ready to help this game Break it just once and your faith finds it hard to believe 
That was Maisha's new single, uh, Still Dream, which dropped yesterday and, you know, strongly encourage people to go grab a copy of that. Go listen back. Maisha is incredible. And also, uh, you know, keep supporting artists who have lost a lot of income over the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, I know that, you know, there are still a lot of questions around safety in terms of going to gigs and that kind of thing. But you can always just buy people's music. Remember when we used to buy CDs? I do remember that. Um, and now I think people just use it to make arts and crafts. Yeah, I think my first CD, oh, I don't know. One of them was confiscated, so I can't remember. But I think one of my first CDs was like Britney Spears' first First Incredible. album? Yeah, it was beautiful. I, I think I owned like three CDs when I was a preteen, and they were on constant heavy rotation. So, you know, let's go back to those days, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it, like even before I tried to learn English, I got a few CDs, and it was just so fresh, and the Veronica's. And I used to, and the bed, like Beckham soundtrack, and just oh, trying yes. to <laughs> learn those over and over again. Oh, my gosh. And then I, I stepped on one of them, and... I thought, that's it. I'll never know English again. And here I am. <laughs> I know. You're on the radio. I know. Incredible. Look at me. <laughs> and you are listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM. Do you have
have a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown, but want to find them a loving home? We'll drop them in at 3CR and put them in the Books and Boots bin. Books and Boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional First Nations communities and children across the country. Contact us at Books and Boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au We love a good book. Strong spirit, First Nations issues, families, people and stories from a First Nations perspective. Mondays at 1pm on 3CR. Proud black man, proud black man, it should not wonder. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM and it is 7.24 in the morning and we might jump into another track. This is What Should I Do by Bajara. Confide in Ask me how my 
Tune in to Stick Together, all about workers' rights and social justice. 8.30am Wednesday, 7am Saturday. Or listen on demand on 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. You're listening to 3CR, and it's just 7.30. You just heard a song called What Should I Do by Budgera, and just now we are joined by Greg Foyster, who is the Campaigns Manager at Environment Victoria. He's a long-term Geelong resident and member of the community group Geelong Renewables Not Gas. He joined us today to speak on the alleged and underreporting of Geelong gas terminal emissions. Thanks so much for joining us here today on Thursday Breakfast, Greg. How are you? Very good. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thank you so much for getting up. Um, I thought we'd jump straight in because I know there's lots to talk about, if that's all right with you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so I know in the briefing paper released by Environment Victoria on the 28th of Feb, it was revealed that Viva Energy appears to deliberately have downplayed the emissions from its proposed gas import terminal in Corio Bay. Would you mind speaking on the possible impact of this proposed gas terminal on the residents of Geelong? Yeah, so I think I might explain first what a gas terminal is because some people might not know. Um, Essentially, it's just a way of importing gas uh, from northern Australia or overseas uh, to supplement the amount of gas we have in our system because the gas fields off Bass Strait are declining, so they're producing less gas, mm-hmm. um, and this is a, a possible solution to, to that. Um, I'll get to the problems of that solution later, but just firstly on the emissions. Yeah. So it's going to import about 160 petajoules of gas, which is more gas than Victorians burn in their homes in a year. So it's an extraordinary mm-hmm. amount of gas, and it's, uh, it's a, we should sort of look at this as another really big fossil fuel project in our backyard. It's a big supply of um, fossil fuel and and emissions. Um, And what we discovered was that uh, Viva, in their environment effects statement, has deliberately downplayed the emissions associated with this project, Um, and they've done that by excluding the largest source of emissions, which is transporting the gas. Uh, So they've, they've said that they're building an import terminal, but they don't want to count the uh, greenhouse gas emissions from all the fuel that is burned in the tankers to bring the gas to Geelong. Yeah, I feel like uh, in the report, it's interesting how Viva's own data uh, 
that is what a lot of this is based on, but also if the fuel transport emissions are included as a gas source, correct me if I'm wrong, but the project's total emissions would be 4 to 12 times higher, 4 to 12 times higher than the current reported figures. Um, and I think, would you maybe mind speaking on a little bit what, like, I know that there's different scopes and different gas sources and maybe what this underreporting actually means. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll take people through what we did. We were involved in the campaign to stop AGL's gas import terminal in Western Port Bay, um, and the government rejected that terminal on environmental grounds, which was a, a really big victory for the local community. And as a result of being involved in that, we became very knowledgeable on g- gas terminals and carbon accounting that should should be used when you're looking at gas terminals. So what we did was when Viva released their environment statement, we compared them, we compared that environment statement with AGL's environment statement for a a gas terminal that uses the same technology, imports the same amount of gas. Mm. Um, And so you would think that they would be pretty similar in terms of emissions, but... Viva's estimates were far, far, far lower than AGL's. Um, and as I said, it's because they excluded transport emissions when they, when the government appointed panel that, uh, assessed AGL's project sh- said that transport emissions should be included. Um, and so the result is that when you, when you do include transport emissions, if the gas comes from Australia, it's about four times higher, the total emissions. Right, okay. Um, and if the gas comes from the Middle East, which is pretty standard, then it's about 12 times higher. And that information was buried in an appendix of a 13,000-page document. We got up at 5 a.m. to <laughs> check everything and pull together a briefer so that we would have something to say to the, the media on the day because we had suspected that they might try to pull this trick. Right. So putting it at an appendix <laughs> in a massive report is obviously not uh, the marker of maybe the most transparent <laughs> kind of report and I know that what what is very interesting to me is Viva's energy justification is that these transport emissions are beyond the company's ability to control because it's only the operator of the terminal and thus not responsible for where the gas is imported from. I It, it feels like that's very much a wipe our hands clean and trying to dodge responsibility wherever they can. Uh, I guess, where do you think the responsibility lies? Because right now it seems that no one is ready to hold themselves accountable, not even close. <laughs> yes. Um, well, firstly, there's all sorts of technical reasons why Viva's wrong there, and yep. I can go into those later. Um, but I'll probably bore your listeners with talk of the um, the test in the International Greenhouse Gas Protocol, et cetera, et cetera. No, it's but right. the main thing to point here is that point out here is that this project is going through an environment effects statement. That's what that's what Viva's uh, information was released for. Yeah. Um, and that environment effects statement process is reserved for projects that could have a very large environmental impact, including climate change. Um, and it's only going to get assessed once. So this is the time right now when Viva's project, the full scope of um, the environmental impact associated with Viva's project, should be assessed. Yeah. And that's a planning process, and they should have included all the emissions um, in their report right up the front so that the public uh, and anybody else involved in that 
environment effects <coughs> process can have a look at it and, and make a decision. So by saying that, by trying to get up on a technicality and saying that they're only the um, operator of the terminal and not the user, mm-hmm. they're essentially removing um, the ability for the public to see the full scope of the emissions associated with the project. And there won't be another um, environment effects statement where that information will come to light. If it's not now, if it's not assessed as part of this project, when it's being built, uh, it's not really going to be um, put forward to the public to to consider. So it should absolutely be part of this process. um, And they shouldn't even have tried to get off on a technicality. They should have been upfront about it. um, Because the, the emissions would have been included in a category called Scope 3, which is not necessarily something that, um, like, it's associated with Viva's project, but it does, Scope 3 emissions do acknowledge that um, there's uh, not as much control over those emissions. Right. So they would have been put in the in the, in the relevant category. Um, so it's, it's a bit, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what they were trying to achieve by uh, removing them, other than um, what a lot of companies do for these environment effects statements is they try to limit the, the scope of what they're responsible for in their in their documents, and then um, it goes to a hearing, and so if the community community can afford independent experts, and those experts are, are the ones who would scrutinise the documents and provide a counter view. So the process itself is independent, but the documents that the company produces are based on their own assumptions and inputs, and so you have to take them um, with a grain of salt, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like this is definitely something that's quite time sensitive and that you know that it is happening once and that these documents will be available once and I think also from my understanding um, just going back to the greenhouse gas protocol because given the nature of climate change in so-called Australia and also around the world um, it seems to be you know affecting us almost and the intervals between that are getting worse and worse Um, Well, I know that the Greenhouse Gas Protocol is the global standard for companies and organisations trying to measure, report and manage their emissions. And the protocol also explicitly advises against the kind of exclusion that Viva Energy has attempted. Uh, I found it quite... uh, Sometimes you just have to laugh, you know, Greg, just a little bit. Um, In November 2021, Viva Energy committed to targeting net zero emissions for their gas terminal project. I guess I also wanted to ask, what do you think about that? And also, what are the consequences for Viva Energy's alleged underreporting against global standards? Mm. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think what we're seeing, not just with this case, but um, in the international arena, I'll speak broadly first, um, yeah. a lot of companies and countries try to get out of their obligations through technicalities and loopholes, and Australia has done that consistently um, as part of uh, UN climate negotiations. So it's, it's a kind of, it's a common theme, and it's really disappointing, actually. Um, and so with something like the Greenhouse Gas Protocol, even though it does explain um, what should be included in a greenhouse gas assessment, and it's clear that it's um, all material, they use the word material, scope three emissions should be included. In other words, if they're very large scope three emissions, yep. then they really should be included, um, and that would cover the transport emissions. Even though that's in there, uh, companies will still try to 
often often try to limit the scope and make themselves look better than they actually are, um, which is really disappointing. Yep. The the consequence is, is mainly that once it gets to the hearings as part of this environment effects statement process, it's not going to look very good that Viva Energy hasn't included this information up front. Yep. And they will argue what they argued um, in their effects statement about having no ability to control. But we've got many technical arguments that um, refute that. Um, and then also just some simple... Uh, you know, one other way of explaining it to people who don't know the technical arguments is that uh, the importation of gas is a prerequisite for a gas import terminal. You can't, <laughs> yep. you can't have a gas import terminal unless you burn the fuel to bring the gas yep. into, <clears throat> into Victoria. So it's inherent to the project, which means that, you know, it, both in terms of the, the relevance test of the greenhouse gas protocol and just common sense, it really should be included because you can't, you can't even have the, the terminal without, um, without importing the gas. So surely the import, importation emissions are, are relevant. Oh, absolutely. I think it is definitely uh, hypocritical and uh, a little bit funny that they <laughs> – obviously, it's not very funny. It's a horrible thing that's happening. But um, just the fact that they, that is a prerequisite to something that they are controlling and have the ability to control, are responsible for, and are wiping their hands of it, uh, I think is disgraceful. And mm. – I know you're part of Geelong Renewables, not gas, and also a long-term resident. And just for our last uh, little question here, I know that Sally Fisher, who was part of that um, group as well, has said the community has an obligation – oh, sorry, the company has an obligation to be honest and transparent, and the community needs to know the full extent of the pollution associated with this project, including transport emissions. How can we, as listeners uh, also support the residents of Geelong as Viva's gas terminal would be a massive source of pollution in the region and make it harder for the city of Greater Geelong to reach their climate target of net zero emissions by 2035. Mm. Well, as I said, uh, the, 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 most in, the key moment right now is the environment effects statement. Um, and this is a way of highlighting the true impact of the gas terminal and potentially having it rejected by the Victorian government. Right. So the best thing to do is uh, to get involved in that and make a submission outlining your concerns, whether they're about climate change or, or local um, mar- marine impact. And the submissions are due by the 11th of April. So we, there's a, a website for Geelong Renewables Not Gas. It's uh, GeelongRenewablesNotGas.org mm-hmm. and if you head there in about a week's time or a bit longer we'll have um, a guide to making a submission and that will, will cover some of the information that we've, we've uh, revealed through the through looking at the environment effects statement and then also you can look at Environment Victoria's website EnvironmentVictoria.org.au um, and we'll have information up there in about a week's time we don't have it yet because it's a 13,000 page document. Yep. And we've got a bunch of volunteer, <laughs> volunteer researchers looking through it. And unfortunately, you do have to look through the technical appendix yep. to actually see what they've hidden. 
because um, the summary just glosses over and says it's going to have minimal impact, which is what these documents often do. Yeah. So it is going to take a little while to get all the information. But, um, yeah, head to environmentvictoria.org.au or geelongrenewablesnotgas.org um, in, in about a week's time, and we should have some information up there to get started on, on making a submission. No, absolutely. Uh, so that is, uh, it was it, Geelong, uh, sorry, it is geelongrenewablesnotgas.org.au? Just .org. .org, yep. Okay. And uh, we will put that in the episode notes as well for our listeners who want to listen back and sign the petition when it is up. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today, Greg, and unpacking this incredibly complex subject and making the information digestible and accessible for our listeners and, you know, really highlighting how peop- like companies are causing the climate crisis by being sneaky <laughs> and putting incredibly important and damning information in the appendix of a massive document um, that takes a lot of power to read through. Um, but yeah, just keep an eye out on this. And thank you so much for Greg for joining us here today. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And you're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. It is 7.45 in the morning, and we are now going to listen to another track. This is Doing It Different by Aroha Mane, uh, Shantan Wantan Ichiban, and Dancing Water.
Join 3CR for a day of special programming in celebration of International Women's Day on Tuesday the 8th of March. With a stellar lineup featuring 24 hours of international current affairs, music, arts, activism, culture and much, much more. This is a unique broadcast that you won't hear anywhere else. We'll bring you the usual celebration of non-conforming feminism. No leadership breakfast here. Just 24 hours of grassroots radical discussions by women and gender non-conforming presenters, producers and musicians dismantling the patriarchy. Taking collective action and imagining the future of feminism. This year's celebrations include a street party in the lane alongside 3CR from 4pm to 8pm in Little Victoria Street. There'll be music, performers, food and friends. Can't make it? You can also listen live. This is a COVID-safe event. So join 3CR in celebrating the amazing women and gender non-conforming people in your community from midnight Monday the 7th of March until midnight on Tuesday the 8th of March. For full details, head to the website 3cr.org.au slash IWD2022. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And the track you just heard before was Doing It Different, the latest release by Dancing Water with Aroha Mane and Shantan Wantan Ichiban. And now we will go to a highly, highly, highly anticipated track by Damila. Uh, they recently performed at the Boiler Room Sugar Mountain, and that is a live stream that you do not do not want to miss. And now we're going to the single "The Shakeup," and yeah, let's let's take it away. <laughs>
And that was the absolutely incredible、uh, debut single, "The Shakeup" by Damila, featuring Jaka. And I hope it's gotten you pumped up for this morning on Thursday morning breakfast.、Um, yeah, just an absolutely massive single. And as Inez said, listen to that boiler room set at Sugar Mountain. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards. Plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. To enable change, we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood, or school. It's fast, free, and simple. Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter. In Brazil, and wiping off the eggshells in Morabin. Fascism's on the march, and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Passaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa, and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4:30 p.m., we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And Malika, take it away. Thank you, Priya.、Um, this morning we are joined by Professor Daniel Angus, who is a professor of digital communication at the QUT Digital Media Research Centre. His research examines issues at the intersection of technology and society, including algorithms, misinformation, and new methods to study the digital society. And he's joining us this morning to talk about fake viral footage being shared during the current crisis in Ukraine. Good morning, Professor Daniel. Good morning. How are you going? Oh, pretty good for a、um, what is it Thursday morning.、Um, thank you, thank you for joining us this morning to talk about this really important issue given the current crisis in Ukraine.、Um, with what's going on, it sounds like misinformation is rampant. Could you share a bit more about what kinds of visual misinformation are currently being shared through this crisis? Yeah, so the platforms that I've been monitoring are Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and and Facebook. And、um, some of the things we've been seeing are simple reappropriation of images, for example, where you've got images from, say, previous crises, or indeed from other、um, you know kinds of、um, times and and dates being kind of reappropriated and passed off as if they're they're coming from this. Present crisis. So,、um, one key example that I saw the other day was a couple of small children kind of saluting Ukrainian troops、um, that, are, that are passing by. It's a very evocative image. It's、um, it's quite、um, persuasive, but it's it's not from this crisis. It's actually it's been taken, I think, back in 2016. 
So this, mm. this very simple um, misappropriation is, is one thing that's um, of concern. But then, yeah, we have seen also photoshops and, and other kinds of insertion of objects as well. For sure. And what are you noticing are the most common techniques for creating and sharing visual misinformation? So, look, the, the kind of recontextualization is, is one of the, the easiest ones, I think, that is out there that, that people do engage in. Um, and, um, and it's the one that's probably the most prominent that I've seen. Um, so this is the, that kind of taking an, an image or a, a video and, and trying to recontextualize that and, and offer a narrative which is different to, say, what that authentic narrative should be. Um, we, we see that, that kind of technique, not just in crises like wars, we see it all the time with natural disasters as well, like what we're experiencing here in Brisbane right now, um, yeah. people passing off images that, that are taken from, say, you know, completely different countries or indeed very different times. And so it's just kind of mainly that process of just resharing images that aren't current and relevant and kind of misinforming the narrative that's going on. And with that in mind, what are one or two ways that we can maybe fact-check visual media as consumers that maybe are unaware or want to make sure that we are getting the right story? How can we fact-check this information? Yeah, so look, as consumers, we have a role to play here um, in making sure that we're not aiding that kind of the spread of misinformation. So um, the, um, the, the kind of, um, I guess, you know, not just hitting retweet, not just resharing straight away when we see an image that is, say, perhaps particularly provocative, but just taking a second to slow down and think, hang on, who has actually shared this? Do I know the authenticity of the source? Um, is this something that is able to be trusted? And, um, and just making sure that that's the case because, look, we can all get kind of caught up in the moment and, um, and just making sure something is authentic. Um, so, yeah, as I said, like, Think about if this is a trusted media source that's sharing the image, yeah. um, have they got um, a, a fact-checking process themselves? Yeah, yeah. And I guess at a time when people might assume that showing solid solidarity and allyship might be resharing stuff on social media, we should be extra mindful of the content that we're choosing to reshare because we could be exacerbating issues or resharing really... Um, content that isn't appropriate at this point in time. And I guess, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I mean, the last thing I think a lot of reasonable people would want to do is, is kind of aid and, and add to trauma that's being experienced by people right now. And so mm. to be absolutely mindful that the simple act of, of sharing an image or a, or a post that you think is like, um, you know, oh, yeah, this, 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 this image is, is powerful, it's gripping, could, um, could do, be doing a lot of harm for, for others out there that um, have to deal with this particular crisis. No, for sure. And you also raised an important point as well, like even in our local communities, especially with the flooding in um, Queensland and northern New South Wales, we, we need to be mindful of what we're sharing and ensuring that we are sharing the right stuff. And I guess how are online platforms attempting to curb the spread of visual misinformation given the current crisis? 
Look, it, it's, it can be frustrating because we can look at the platforms and think they're not doing anything. Look, the platforms are doing some things. Um, they have been um, investing in, in some kinds of operations to deal with some forms of misinformation, to deal with some of the more blatant forms of coordination and, and coordinated misinformation. But, um, look, there is, there is still a lot of room for them to improve. Um, like, I know that in a lot of platforms, you can report content for a number of reasons, and it's very good that, you know, we can report racist content or, or other kinds of forms of hate speech, and that, that's really great, but we can't actually report misinformation. So mm. for many of us out there that encounter this, there is actually no clear way for us to flag it and say, hang on, this, this isn't, you know, other than, say, replying to the, the person who has shared the information that this is not authentic or providing links to fact-checking, um, there's no way to kind of alert the platforms themselves and say, hey, this, this doesn't actually smell or, or, or check out, uh, right? Yeah, it's almost like up to community responsibility to ensure that we're telling the person that shared it, this is wrong, this is not right, and larger platforms aren't really taking that responsibility on, hey. And yeah, I guess... And, and- and look, I mean, you're absolutely right there, though, that the idea of community-led response is really important here. Um, we have to be careful sometimes, I think. Like, it's very easy to say the, plat- the platforms need to do more, the platforms need to take responsibility. In a lot of cases, communities are incredibly good at moderating and, and, and kind of reining in the behaviour of their own communities. And I think in many cases, that's where it should lie, is with the community, because the community often knows best what is what is right and good for their own community. But um, look, at the same time, sometimes they do need the assistance of the platform to, in order to rein in some of the worst behaviours. And unfortunately, just given the speed sometimes this, like these forms of misinformation spread, um, it can be really difficult for communities alone to rein in that, those, those forms of visual misinformation. Yeah, that's... That's so true. And I guess when we're not close to the actual location of where stuff is happening, it's more likely to happen. And I guess, like, as we start to wrap up today's um, interview, what what has been your motivation or drive to kind of ensure that community are fact-checking and are making sure that there is reduced spread of misinformation? Look, so, I mean, I... I'm very much motivated by the idea that I want to see our information environment um, full of informative information and, um, and you know, that media has an incredibly important role to play, particularly within a time of crisis like this. You know, we have within our research centre um, people who themselves who've got family in Ukraine, we've got um, individuals who research Russia and, and, and have got, say, even, um, you know, that, that are Russian themselves that are horrified at what they're seeing going on here. And, you know, I feel strongly personally motivated to try and, you know, do my bit to try and clean up the information environment so the right messages are coming through so we actually see the truth so it's not being muddied by um, these, these forms of, um, of, of, of untruth and, and this form of misinformation um, and that we can actually be able to see, you know, what is happening there and, and know that what we're seeing being shared is in, indeed truthful information. Yeah, no, that, that's really helpful to know. Um, and I guess any final words for listeners who are listening in to this interview today? Look, I, I just reiterate that piece around um, us all playing a role here, that just, you know, even those, uh, those of us who think of ourselves as pretty savvy media consumers can sometimes be caught out 
sharing, you know, bad and, and, and untruthful information online. It's just to take a moment, it's very, very quick to, to retweet something on Twitter or to reshare something, um, to hit like on a, on a piece of content on Instagram. But to just, when, when we consume images particularly, is to take a moment and just, just breathe in, examine the content, figure out, has this actually arrived in my feed organically? Is it an account I follow? Do I trust this account? Why would I trust this particular account? And make a really informed and careful judgment about what you do with that content at that point. Do you engage? Do you reshare? Or do you perhaps just kind of pass it by and think, hmm, just not so sure about that one and, um, and, and, and can come back to it later? Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Professor Daniel, to share um, those important bits of information around ensuring that we aren't spreading further information during a really important crisis. No worries at all. Have a great day, everyone. You too. Thank you so much, Malika. And you've just heard from Professor Daniel Angus, who is a professor of digital communication at QUT Digital Media Research Centre. His research examines issues at the intersection of technology and society, including algorithms, misinformation and new methods. And it was an incredible interview. And now over to you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just very important to bear in mind some of those concerns about misinformation, things being shared, and something that's been quite galling during this crisis is seeing, for example, footage that's been lifted from resistance in Palestine, um, you know, Palestinian resistance against Israeli occupation that's being shared as if it is Ukrainian resistance against, you know, Russian aggression at the moment. Um, and the way that resistance is even being framed uh, in these media discussions. So always making sure to keep an eye on those um, those struggles against imperialism that are going on um, and the way that imagery is uh, appropriated from those struggles which do not get the sort of media coverage that they deserve and instead transposed onto this crisis as well, which is, you know, undoubtedly a humanitarian um, crisis that the international community should also be paying attention to. But just a reminder to keep an eye on what gets left out. Goongo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. Get your radical summer attire sorted. New stock of 3CR Radical Radio Tees has just landed, featuring the iconic antenna design by artist Emily Floyd. As well as our basic black, we have a range of great pastel and primary colours in a variety of sizes. And for those radical little people, we have a short run of kids' tees available too. 
For just $30 for adults or $20 for kids, you can get yourself a local, ethically manufactured and printed tee that supports Radical Community Radio. We can send one out in the post. And there's Click and Collect from our studios at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or if you're fully vaxxed, you can drop in and browse our T-shirt rack during business hours. To purchase online, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and it is just gone 810 in the morning. We are now joined by Dr. Nina Ritter, who's a research associate at the Center of Excellence for Climate Extremes at the University of New South Wales. And Nina is joining us to discuss the recent catastrophic flooding in Queensland and New South Wales, their relationship to climate change and La Nina cycles, and also the, um, the latest report from the Intergovernmental Panel on on climate change. Nina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it is extremely important and timely. I mean, it's been timely for a long time to be talking about these issues. Um, so just to start off with, listeners may be aware that we're currently in a La Nina weather cycle, and this phenomenon really underpins some of what we're going to be talking about regarding the flooding up north. So to start off with, can you just tell us about what a La Nina cycle entails? Of course. So a La Nina is caused to a complex interplay between the equatorial Pacific and the atmosphere, which causes a change in the atmospheric pressure patterns, so the synoptic system basically, um, over the Pacific. At the same time, the ocean surface just in the east of the Pacific, just off Australia, um, uh, no, sorry, um, off uh, South America, cools. And in the Western Pacific, it warms. So just around Australia, like also the Coral Sea, it's warming. Um, the change in the atmospheric pressure pattern causes the trade winds, which blow from the east to the west along the equator, um, to become stronger. And while the warmer ocean just off Australia releases more moisture into the atmosphere. So these two effects combine and bring more water vapor to Australia, which means that we overall see wetter conditions, more rainfall, and more cloud coverage during a La Nina year. We also see more extreme rainfall events, which themselves are also more intense because there's more water stored in the atmosphere that can rain out and hit the land. Mm, yeah, and I mean, we've clearly seen the effects of these with the catastrophic flooding in Queensland and New South Wales over the past week or so, following pretty heavy precipitation across those regions. So can you tell us a bit more about that relationship between La Nina cycles, global warming, and the frequency and severity of flooding events in Australia? Of course. So, so um, as I mentioned, La Nina brings more moisture to Australia and causes extreme rainfall. Over the past decades, we have seen an increase in the number of extreme rainfall events and also their intensity. This is partly driven through the increase in atmospheric temperature. So for each degree that the atmosphere warms up, it can hold 7% more water vapor, which eventually can fall out as rain. Since the Industrial Revolution, so roughly since 1890, we have already seen a mean global temperature rise by uh, 1.5 degrees and we're heading to even more severe temperature increases. 
this means that the trend that we have seen over the past decades is very likely to continue into the future. So we are expecting to see the number of extreme rainfall events per year increase, and these events will be more intense, which we have seen now with this um, flooding. Mm, and I have also seen recent reporting about um, Lismore potentially becoming, you know, one of these regions that might be might become unlivable and, you know, not to mention um, a lot of other regions across Australia and surrounding islands, for, for example, in the Torres Strait, being really hit by the effects of climate change. Um, so I know that the IPCC's sixth assessment report, uh, Climate Change 2022 Impacts, Adaptation and Vulnerability, which was released on the 28th of February, lays out some of the devastating impacts of human-induced climate change, current and future adaptation options and climate-resilient development. And could you tell us some early takeaways that might help us understand um, and also shape approaches to flooding events and heavy rainfall events in Australia? So with the IPCC, one thing that I like to remind people of is that even if we stop the emission of greenhouse gases or carbon dioxide right now, we would still um, see an increase in global temperatures. So this has to do with the inertia of the system. So we started to put it into gear by increasing um, CO2 levels. And it also has to do with the processes that remove um, carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, which um, take quite some time. This means that under all future scenarios that we have imagined for the IPCC, for example, uh, we will see an increase in extreme rainfall events in eastern Australia. So the best thing to do is to adapt and mitigate impact through proper planning. So we will need to prepare for these events, reassess building standards, how we build, where we build. Some settlements, as you said, Lismore, are built in regions that are becoming floodplains right now without the people noticing. So the people that live there don't even know that they are at risk. So the councils have to adjust their approach to planning and ensure there is sufficient flood protection and awareness to save lives. Um, well, we would all like to live in beachfront apartments, and the view is really nice over rivers. We must realize that there is a risk to life and livelihood if we actually build there, and it will increase over the future. Yeah, and I think for people that have been, you know, keeping an eye on the international scope of these kinds of things, we've seen the the catastrophic flooding that's been happening through these weather cycles in places like Bangladesh and other river delta regions, um, you know, where people, you know, there's been a massive loss of life, destruction of infrastructure and, you know, mass displacement of people in flood-prone regions. Um, So the report, again, also notes the disproportionate impacts of climate change on systemically marginalized peoples, including indigenous peoples, and the flooding in Lismore and and across Mianjin or Brisbane have been no exception to this. So I was wondering if we could also turn to speak about the importance of centering Indigenous knowledges and priorities for climate-resilient development and governance. It's, I personally think we can learn a lot from the Indigenous community about weather and climate extremes that they have seen in the past. In the scientific community, at the moment, there is a push to base research on what we call storylines. Those focus on high-impact events that we have seen, and we work our way backwards to what has caused these um, high impacts. 
So these storylines can be tailored closely to indigenous folklore and the stories that have been passed down for generations, which opens up a data set going back thousands of years. So this is way longer than the access that we have to scientific observations and the satellite data anyway, which only started in 1970s. So I think we really should closely interact with the indigenous community, include them in and their knowledge in our research. Yeah, I mean, as you as you say, this um, these historical records that you know knowledge holders have about their own country um, really, you know, maps out. Uh, geological patterns that have been happening across the timescale of, you know, people, um, you know, sharing this information from from generation to generation. And it is a much longer record, as you mentioned, than the, you know, the Western scientific record that we have for climate change. I was also wondering if you um, if you had any other takeaways that you wanted listeners to know about uh, before we wrap up in, in relation to flooding, rainfall and climate change that we should be aware of, especially now that people's interest, I'm sure, has been peaked after these floods. I think one thing to remember is that a lot of extremes actually occur because they are accumulated. So Part of why these floods are so extreme is not only the rainfall, but the amount of rainfall that is falling, even though it is extreme and it would have called flooding, it has been exacerbated because it fell on saturated uh, catchments. So um, the water reservoirs were full, the catchments were full, so there was nowhere for the water to be absorbed. So it immediately led to flooding. So it's something to keep in mind that when you hear we had a wet summer so far and we had a La Nina last year, that, you know, it's wet out there. So as soon as there's more rain coming on top of that, it will flood. So be prepared and have a plan, basically. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. Um, I think especially with our government's approach to climate change and successive government's approaches, which have been, um, I guess, lukewarm at best, Um there is a tendency to present these events as if they are standalone. And that was, you know, exemplified with the bushfire season um, with a lot of, you know, I guess, uh, reporting that was more conservative and more skeptical about climate change, suggesting that these are cyclical events that happen anyway. But I think uh, keeping an eye on that longer duration and on the cumulative effect is so important. Um, so, Nina, where can listeners find out more about your research and also about taking action on climate change? So what my colleagues and I do is on our website, which is uh, climateextremes.org.au. Unfortunately, this one is going undergoing a major overhaul at the moment, but hopefully it will be back online soon. And for taking actions, um, there's a really nice page by the UN's Environmental Project, which is uh, on uh, unap.org which is called What You Can Do Climate Tips. So it's just um, a nice, um, simple outline of little things you can do, but also more fundamental things that you can change to help. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for making the time to take us through uh, through these issues. Um, you know, we really appreciate you sharing your expertise on this area and um, breaking down some of those more complex you know, terminology and phenomena around precipitation and flooding, especially in light of this recent crisis. So thank you, Nina. Thank you.
And that was Dr. Nina Ritter, who's a research associate at the Centre of Excellence for Climate Extremes at the University of New South Wales. And Nina joined us to discuss the recent catastrophic flooding in Queensland and New South Wales, their relationship to climate change and La Nina cycles, and the latest report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And again, you can find out more about the climate science research that Nina and her team are working on at climateextremes.org.au, though as Nina mentioned, that website is undergoing a bit of an overhaul. So we'll chuck another couple of links in our uh, in our description uh, so that people can find out more information. And if you choose to do so, have a read of that report as well. It certainly triggered my climate anxiety. So big shout out to all of the climate scientists and activists and especially indigenous climate scientists and activists who are on the front lines, who've been fighting this for years and who you know, put in the hard yards to parse that incredibly dense information um, and pull out strategies, solutions and points of critique that we can all continue to press on. Join 3CR for a day of special programming in celebration of International Women's Day on Tuesday the 8th of March. With a stellar lineup featuring 24 hours of international current affairs, music, arts, activism, culture and much, much more. This is a unique broadcast that you won't hear anywhere else. We'll bring you the usual celebration of non-conforming feminism. No leadership breakfast here. Just 24 hours of grassroots radical discussions by women and gender non-conforming presenters, producers and musicians dismantling the patriarchy. Taking collective action and imagining the future of feminism. This year's celebrations include a street party in the lane alongside 3CR from 4pm to 8pm in Little Victoria Street. There'll be music, performers, food and friends. Can't make it? You can also listen live. This is a COVID safe event. So join 3CR in celebrating the amazing women and gender non-conforming people in your community from midnight Monday the 7th of March until midnight on Tuesday the 8th of March. For full details, head to the website 3cr.org.au slash IWD2022. And now we will go to the song Comeback by Baka and Makesha. I started looking in the mirror, face my own demons. Had every right to be mad, I had my own reasons. But to take it out on family was a bad feeling. I just want to pay back my mob with what I was gifted. I just want to be a good mummy, build my babies a home. Put a crown on my mama and I'll build her a throne. You can't talk about my past cause them days dead and gone. And if you go and bring it up, you must have hate in your soul. And that's true. I just want to bring it back for a minute. And thank my sister and my mama for my children. Cause I was trapped in addiction and in prison. But they gave me the tools so I could live a little different. Thank my matriarchy and thank my babies for me. I must be a good woman if I birth them seeds. And to be a better woman, I must follow my dreams and give back to everybody who done gave to me. It's a full circle, what goes around comes around Yeah, I was lost at the start, but my soul got found And I just want to be here and make my whole family proud Do everything in my power to make them all smile now
I'ma do better, good karma, yes, I'm receiving it. Made it all real, cause I was sick and tired of dreaming it. And this life here's a gift, I'm gonna keep on succeeding it. I had to get it up and mud and make it better. Grab my babies by their hands and we gon' do this together. Got these tears in my eyes while I write them love letters. And I know I'm not perfect, but I'm never gon' give up. I gotta plant them seeds and tell the truth how it is. I gotta stand up strong and be a mum to my kids. I gotta come back strong and go and face some fears. Cause I was sick and tired of hating on myself all them years. I am powerful and I don't even know the half of it. But I'm all within my being and I am no longer masking it. Every time I fall, I now look at the stars. Cause dreams are for real, I never lose that spark. That was Comeback by Barker and Makesha. And just as a little plug for Barker, Barker will be performing at uh, Soju Gang, who is a DJ and designer, their festival Sorbets, at the Sydney Maya Music Bowl on the 13th of March. And also uh, some profits from ticket sales will also go to the Dajoa Foundation. So please check it out if you can, and also we'll link it in the episode notes. Excellent. And um, I think we're coming up to time on today's show, so we might do a bit of a wrap-up of what we covered today. So first up, we heard from Alina Mark, who's a Sudanese refugee who's been living in Indonesia for the past four years, and she interviewed Abdullah, who is also stranded in Indonesia as a result of Australia's border regime. So Abdullah spoke with Alina about barriers to accessing education for refugees in Indonesia and his concerns about their flow-on effects. Alina herself is a trained dentist, but she's currently working with two NGOs providing education support to refugees in Indonesia. That's for all learning centers and beyond the fabric. And she's also a member of Archipelago magazine. To hear more of Alina's collaborative work with Shahrazad Blue, interviewing refugees in Indonesia, you can listen to the next Women on the Line episode on Monday, the 7th of March. So that's this coming Monday from 8.30 to 9 a.m. on 3CR. And then another reminder is the International Women's Day event for 3CR is next Tuesday. You can find out information on our website and socials. And then we heard from Greg Foyster, who's the campaigns manager at Environment Victoria. He's also a long-term Geelong resident and member of the community group Geelong Renewables Not Gas. And he joined us today to speak on Viva Energy's alleged underreporting for Geelong gas terminal emissions. And you can also find further information when it will be up soon. They do have to go through a large report um, on www.geelongrenewablesnotgas.org. And after that, we also heard from Professor Daniel Angus, who is a professor of digital communication at the Q. UT Digital Media Research Centre. His research examines issues at the intersection of technology and society, including algorithms, misinformation, and new methods of the study of digital society. And they joined Malika today in discussing uh, fake viral footage that is being shared during the crisis in Ukraine. 
And finally, we were joined by Dr. Nina Ritter, who's a research associate at the Center of Excellence for Climate Extremes at the University of New South Wales. And she joined us to discuss the recent catastrophic flooding in Queensland and New South Wales, their relationship to climate change and La Nina cycles, and the latest report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And you can find out more at climateextremes.org.au, but we'll also drop stuff in the show notes. And that's all we've got time for today. Bye. Bye. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.